1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 to 9 and 13 to 16. This is the word of the Lord. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him, and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. This is the word of the Lord. We're starting a new series today called Most Deeply Human. And um, it's, it's a subject matter that maybe you're not used to, especially if you didn't grow up in church. Um, what does it mean to be most deeply human? I'm going to just give you the answer right now, although I don't know if that will necessarily mean you'll think, okay, um, the answer is to be holy. That's what the Bible says. Um, our, we live in a time when there's all these strange connotations about holy Holy holiness, and it's a it's a it's pretty much a pretty foreign idea. Um, it's got all these strange connotations of religiosity and trying to be really good. And what I want to do in this series is to do something that's kind of I don't know if ambitious is the right word to try to 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 blow all that up, right? And to help you see what the Bible means by holiness. How it's so tremendously beautiful and needed. That's, um, that's what the goal of this series is. And there's a lot of pieces that I think are, are kind of broken in our culture. And in this opening message, I've entitled um, The Telos of Eternal Personhood. If you don't know the word telos, just, mean, just wait for I'm going to tell you what it means, okay? Um, the Telos of Eternal Personhood. And I want to start at the most basic place. Which is, what does it even mean to be a human person? What is that? That is incredibly um, confused today and greatly controverted. And I just want to start there at that very, very most basic place. And so, um, and that will lead us into a discussion toward holiness, okay? So with that start, with that said, let's get into it. Part one, what is a person? You like that question? It's like, really? That, that's what you're going to talk about? Yeah, that's what we're going to talk about. What is a person? Part two, telos. Telos. You're like, okay, what is that? Okay, we're going to get there, okay? Telos. Part two is telos. And part three, born again for eternal joy and beauty. You want to know what holiness is for or holiness does? 
eternal joy and beauty. This is where this is where we're going into a journey. We're going into a journey where I want you to set your mind and your heart and your whole desire and your whole destiny not on, you know, am I going to get that great job or are we going to buy that house? Are we going to be able to afford that mortgage? Will the kids get into, you know, UC Berkeley and then, you know, have a, have a great career? But eternal joy and beauty. That's what you were born again for if you believe in Jesus. You weren't born again to get a nice house in the suburbs, okay? <laughs> Much bigger things than that. You're born again for eternal joy and beauty. Okay, part one. Um, what is a person? Now, I want to just, let's get right into this verse three. Verse three. In this passage, at least this, it nowhere says anything person. That word isn't used. And in general, that word's not in the Bible. Why? Because it's a philosophical concept. That term person is a philosophical concept, but it is assumed and is built everywhere in the Bible, especially where the gospel is proclaimed. And this is a, a particularly good example. Okay, so just lots of good examples, but this is a good one. First Peter chapter one, verse three. Let me read it. Okay, it says this. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. Let's just stop for there. So all of this is, what is the Bible for? What is human life for? What does it mean to be this person? What does it mean to be a person? This is what God wants for you as a person. What is, what is the purpose of being a person? It's something like this. That you're going to have a life that through the Son of God, Jesus, He died the death we deserve to die. He was resurrected, this thing we call Easter, so that you can have an inheritance from Him that will be imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. So these aren't really words we're used to um, to thinking about in our, in our society. Imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. Generally, you're happy to get a car. And if you're, you know, like, okay, if you're the kind of person that drives a car into the ground, you're like, I hope it'll last like 15 years. That'd be really good, okay? 15 years. Um, maybe you're the person who has more money and you're going, I'm going to get bored of this car in about two or three years and we're going to just, you know, get a, a new one. That's nothing like imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. Nothing like that. Now, let's get back to this question of what is a person. What God, when God sees you, he sees a person. And generally, when we go about our life, you and I think we know what a person is. I'm a person. We use this word all the time. I'm meeting other persons. And, and I want to just start with a kind of radical a radical, uh, a radical presupposition, which is you can't actually know what a person is just from your personal experience. Everybody thinks they know what a person is just because, well, I meet other persons. 
okay? I meet other persons. And they generally, it's something like this. They have a body. They have a mind. They have a will. The, the, the philosophers call it volition. You can choose. You have desires. And then you have some kind of direction. So, you know, we have different uh, terms for this, like destiny. And a person has those things. So a rock, a rock, no mind. You know, we, we never call a rock a person. <laughs> you know, you get a rock, you're like, no, you, there's no conversation. <laughs> there's no will. There's no mind. There's no choices. Okay, you don't have, if you have a pet lizard, if you have a pet lizard, you don't go, hey, you, hey, you're, okay, you, you know, if you have five members of your family, there's five persons in your house, but the lizard doesn't count, right? <laughs> because there's no mind, there's no will. Those, that's the, these are the general attributes of a person. And I hope I'm not boring you yet. Just, just, just follow me for a second, okay? Um, and we all think we know what a person is, but I want to just start right here. At this most basic level, this is the, the, at the very least, this is what a person is, okay? But there are persons who can't talk. There are persons who have been in a coma for a long time. There are persons who, because of some kind of birth defect or something like this, they're paralyzed for their life, but so they don't, they can't really talk. Um, are they still persons? Let me offer you a different one. There's a ball of cells that grow inside of, of a woman, and, um, and some philosophers, this is important, say it's not a person. Some philosophers say it's not a person. Some philosophers say that is a person. So you see, here, see what I'm saying? So it can't simply just be based on your own personal empirical experience. Like 99% of the time, what I just said to you about the attributes of a person, that's generally true. That's not good enough. Okay? Let me say something else about a person. From the Bible, a person is not just... Uh, is not just what you see before you. You know, I'm five foot nine, I'm male, I'm Asian, you know, I'm really good looking. Okay, you know, some of you would debate that. Okay, fine. So those are, that's what you see. But in the Bible, here's some other things that, in, that are included with personhood. Okay, things like this. Um, your, um, your ancestry, your ancestors are part of your personhood. That's why the Bible has these, these strange, what we think is really boring. And this guy was the father of this guy, and the father of this guy, and the father of this guy, blah, 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 blah. And then they say, and then this guy was born or something like that. Because when the Bible looks at you, when, the, when God sees you, he doesn't just see who you are only now, that only what everybody else is. He sees your ancestry too. Your ancestry. The, the modern lingo we would use is your genes, but it's more than your genes. It's the hopes of your fathers and your forefathers, the sins of your fathers and forefathers, and your mothers and foremothers, okay? Your ancestry. Um, he sees your desires. He sees your hopes. How about your body? Is your body... Sometimes we talk about your person as like the special soul inside your body but it's not part of your body. But the Bible says your body is part of your person. So if you punch somebody, you punch their body, but did you punch their person? Of course you punched their person, you did. But if you hug them 
And the, the meaning of that is I love you. And you touch their body. It's part of their person. That's why um, when a person's body has been injured or you say, hey, you're ugly or that's ugly a part of your body, you are, you're saying something about their person. You're not just saying something about their body. Hmm. Um, how about this? Your destiny is part of your personhood. Your destiny is part of your person. You don't believe me? Here's what it says. That you have, that you, there's something and it's an inheritance in you. And in God's purposes, there's something about you. And your destiny is supposed to be imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. God sees this when he sees you. God sees this when he sees you. He sees your full personhood in this way. And um, let me, make, like, make, 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 make another point that comes out of this passage. Your personhood is forever. It's eternal. So we live in a highly secular culture and most of us assume, assume it's an assumption. It's like a doctrine that we believe, but it's not really stated out loud, but we operate with a kind of working assumption that a person is born, lives, breathes, and dies, and then they're gone. That's it. Not so with the Bible. In the Bible, you have a destiny that's intended to be forever, eternal. And um, so let me say a couple of just other things about this. Therefore, your worth as a person is infinite. Infinite. So the poorest person that you know, the dumbest person that you know, the ugliest person that you know, the most seemingly messed up person that you know. You don't even like this person. This, you, we, we just pass by certain homeless people on the street. Or if you've ever been, I mean, in America, we're kind of a cleaned up society. You know, we're a richer society. But if you've been in some other countries that are truly desperately poor, there are people on the street, you almost can't recognize them as human. But to, a God, to God, he, he, he never has any confusion. It's a person. It's a person. Now, um, I want to say a few other things like this. In our society, um, well, let me say something. Okay, let me just make a point about this, and then I'll say this. Our society also believes that um, who you are as a person, everybody else gets to say whether you're good or not. <laughs> And most everybody, which is like 99.99%, including you and me, you feel that you have worth or you're a good person when other people tell you you're a good person. If other people don't tell you that you're a good person, you will not think you're much of a person. And so the worth of a person is, is so set into this temporality and it's about how good looking we are, how smart we are, what we can contribute. Which we can contribute that other people think you can contribute. But I want you to just, just, just get a little feel for this passage. It's nothing like that from God. Nothing. Nothing like that from God. Now, to a certain extent, some of you might be thinking this. Okay, okay isn't, the way already, isn't everybody already know this? Everything you just said, Pastor, I think everybody knows. If you're a Christian, you're supposed to know this. 
If you're not a Christian, you may even believe, agree with what I'm saying. And almost everything I'm saying has been standard Christian doctrine inside of the West. And the West, even those people who are not Christians, have believed this about human persons for, for, for hundreds of years, definitely. <laughs> Maybe almost 2,000 years. And so they meet a person, and then that's, these are what they think. Now, we, of course, we are really hypocritical, and we fail to live inside of this. But generally, when we think and talk about human personhood, these are the, are the fundamental like, um, beliefs and presuppositions of what we think a person is. What I want to say here, just in the front part of this message, is we're living in a time now where we don't believe in this. <laughs> we don't believe in this. And so even the Christians, the Christians, we're supposed to believe in what I, everything I just said about what a person is. And instead, we're just walking inside of the feelings and of the normal, normal assumptions of a post-Christian secular culture. And what I want to say is, is if you don't believe in Jesus and you're not sure about God and you just are kind of like accepted the, the air of the beliefs of our culture, you you're not operating inside this vision of personhood. And I want to just um, say this. If you think that science is going to give you all these answers or that, you know, your experience is going to give you these answers about this, but something that's super fundamental. What is a person? You already don't have this. And you won't be able to stand up for it when it matters. So just, just very briefly, and I know this is kind of a heady beginning, but it's really important, Okay. I want to say, just give you just three brief examples of where I just see this. And you all see it too. Where people are being treated as less than persons. And it's completely normal in our culture now. It's becoming very, very common and normal that what you are as a person is not being treated by everything I just said before. You know, the, the importance of your ancestry, your body, your destiny that who you are is made to be with infinite worth, to be imperishable, um, undefiled, these kinds of words from God, cherished by him. And instead, we have things like this. So just a few examples. You look at a person, you see their skin color. And depending on their skin color, we treat them as less than persons. <laughs> they're bad. <laughs> they're, just, they're really bad. They're oppressors. This, there, there's like this kind of instant insult of prejudice that's coming about from our culture and, in, and, and the, we treat them as less than persons. It's deeply problematic. I'm, I'm very, very troubled by this. And I hope you are too. I'll give you another one. Um, we reduce people. So we reduce people. We reduce persons and treat them as less than persons on the basis of race. How about on the basis of sex? It's a common thing, of course, throughout history that women have often been treated as less than persons. But nowadays, let's just, let's, let's turn it. Um, we're treated as less than persons. People are treating themselves as less than persons because sex and sexuality have to be definitive of me as a person. It's the most important thing of me as a person. Sex is very important, and we are not less than sexual beings. But who you want to have sex with, where your sexual attractions are, that's not definitive of you as a person. 
And so nowadays, it's like you have to you pick a pronoun or an identity, and it's so much of it has to do with sexuality. And that's going to be definitive of me as a person. And I would say there's an idolatry there. We're reducing the deep beauty and complexity of the human person. We're reducing that. One more. This, this one's super common. And this is just normal. Nobody even sees this as a problem. A person is based, their worth is based on how much money they have and what they can do. So that's why the person who's living in the streets, they barely sometimes could look at you in the eye. Because the culture has told them since they're poor and they're not contributing with some ability into the general society that they barely feel fully human like a true person. Now let me wrap up this portion of this message. From the Bible, I'm going to give you a radical understanding of personhood. Here's what a person is from the Bible. You are a created version of Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Personhood, the human person, is a derivative created version of an eternal glorious person. There's three persons, one God, that's what that's the mystery of the Christian view of God. We call this the Holy Trinity. We have three persons. There's three eternal persons in this mysterious oneness, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. When God made human beings, he didn't look at, okay, you know, monkeys are a good design. Well, let's make them like the monkeys. That's kind of like the standard theory that you're taught in school today. That's not what God did. God looked at his son and he said, let's make a person like you. Personhood comes from God. And so personhood has infinite eternal worth. And that's where I want to start this message. That's why, that's why God is willing to pay such a tremendous price to redeem us and save us. He made us to be like his son. And then, and then when we blew it and keep blowing it, he won't let us go. Personhood. Okay, let's go to part two. Telos. Okay, telos. What is telos? It's, um, if you ever take, um, a few of you have, have taken Revived Church's uh, membership class. And um, I talk about this in our membership class. So telos is an old Greek word. It means purpose, goal, purpose, goal, or aim. The ultimate purpose, goal, or aim, okay? And this is usually the example I give in our, our, in our membership class. Tell me, what is the telos of this? You guys all see what this is? What is this? Just say it out loud. It's a pen, okay? What is the purpose telos of this? Somebody just said it out loud. To write. Yeah, of course, you all know. What does the purpose tell us of this? It's to write. Okay, so you're going to do this, and then we write. Okay. You get a little point on the end of this thing, and if you want to play darts, we can get a bunch of them and say, let's play darts. Children, especially little boys, might grab this thing and go, okay, it's my sword. 
Okay? And some of you may say, you know, my pinky isn't doing it. I'm going to use this to, you know, like pick my nose or something. <laughs> okay? So it's useful. It's useful for lots of things. But none of those things is its true purpose. It's true goal and end. And as a, as a human person, you have a telos. <laughs> you do have a telos. And it's a deep, deep problem in our culture. We don't even know what we're for. What am I for? First, I just, part one, I really, I, I gave part one to tell you what you are. <laughs> what you are, because, you know, what, when you know what something is, you can then have a chance of what knowing its purpose is, its telos is. Right? Because if you don't even know what you are, how can you know what you're for? So if you know what this is, it's a pimp. So I'm a human being. Well, I don't even know what that is. Okay, you are a human person. And someone bigger than you, someone greater than you, someone who invented you, let's put it this way, whoever invented this told us what this is. And then everyone is like, oh, it's wonderful. And if this could talk, if you use it as a dart, it would go, um, okay. <laughs> but if you use it and do this, it would go, oh, thank you. <laughs> there would be great joy inside of the pen. If you want to know where you're going to find your deepest joy and your deepest fulfillment, because that's a big word today, fulfillment, you must go to your telos as a person. You must go to your telos as a person. And let me give you the verse, okay? So here it is. Verse 13, actually, um, verse 13, I'll, I'll read from here and then we'll get, we'll get to it. So it tells you all this stuff that God has done for you through Jesus. This is your hope, imperishable, undefiled, unfading. Verse 13, therefore, Preparing your minds for action. You're going to, going to go do stuff. Being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that we brought to you at the revelation of Jesus, the revealing of Jesus. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. So all of you are living your life and your identity and what you are based on what the world's telling you. That's, you're living in your ignorance. And here we go. Here's... Here, here is, here is the telos. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. There it is. That's, that's your telos. For you to be holy, just as he who made you is holy. I just told you he made you to be like the second person of, of the Holy Trinity. And... Um, so to be holy. Now let me say a couple more things. I know this is kind of an abstract professor's lecture kind of sermon, okay? I, I hope to get a little bit more personal as, as this series goes, okay? But this is really important. I want to give you a simple thing about, there's only three options on how to be a human being. If you've been with me a while, you might have heard me say this, but I want to say this right now. There's three options, okay? There isn't more. There are only three choices. You can try to be a human person like an animal. That's the secular way. We're smart. 
cognitively over-endowed. We've been evolved to have overly big brains. We're like overly cognitively endowed animals. And so how does the social animal called the humans, how do they like do well? So generally, modern secular sociology and psychology treats the wisdom of how to be a human person like animal. That's the first one. Animal. Um, second, this one's worse. A second option is you could be like devil. You could be like devil. Um, um, <laughs> my wife and I watch K-dramas now. We're watching this K-drama now where it's a bunch of old people. Um, it's called uh, Dear My Friends. And uh, so we're watching this K-drama and there's these two dysfunctional marriages in this K-drama. One is this old couple where the husband regularly insults his wife. <laughs> and he belittles her. And, 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 and like if she doesn't do exactly what he wants, he actually you know, treats her like a child and makes her like, you know, gives her punishment by making her raise her arms up. And, and I don't know why she takes it. And he thinks he owns her and, and, and pushes her in this little box like this. If you ask me, he thinks he's a good person. I would say this is something like human being like a devil. There's another guy in, the, in this, in this uh, drama. He just straight up beats up his wife. <laughs> and I, I turn to my wife and I say, I sure hope there's a happy ending. And this is what I mean. I hope he dies before the end of the drama is over, because that's what devils deserve. And since you are a human being and you are a human person, inside of you, you are made to be holy. And now I'm going to start to give you a definition. What holiness is, is goodness in absolute purity. Goodness in absolute purity. There's nothing false. There's nothing defiled. See? <laughs> there's, nothing, there's nothing defiled there. There's nothing that's not so good. Like, so it's fading. If it's fading, that means it's dying. So if there's a goodness inside of you and it's dying, that's not part of the holiness. It's a goodness inside of you and it's unfading, undefiled. So let's just, let's give some examples. You ever watch like uh, late night TV and then some good, like uh, some famous uh, sitcom, you know, a, a, a stand-up comedian comes up and he goes, oh, this guy's a, the star stand-up comedian. He comes up and he makes these jokes and you laugh because he's, he's talented. But he makes these jokes and sometimes there is a kind of like twist little insult of certain kinds of people in there. And we laugh. And there's a belittling of people that's going on inside of there. That's defiled. <laughs> that's unholy. The laughter and the joy is something closer to the pure goodness. But when you listen to that joke, it's, it's not. It's defiled. <laughs> and let me, um, let me say one more thing. I mean, I'm, I'm doing a lot of big theology to start this series. 
A lot of you are wondering about yourself. You're like, wow, <laughs> I'm, I'm pretty defiled in so many ways. Yes, we are. But I, here, I want to say this word before we get to part three of our message. There's so many things about you that are good. So many things about you that are good. And you know who says they're good? God says they're good. You know how the Bible starts? It starts like this. And God, there was darkness. And then he said, let there be light. Boom. And he goes, that, that's good. <laughs> you know, there, there's chaos and disorder. And then he, he makes, he separates water from land. And, and then he goes, and that's good. And then he makes all these different beautiful, glorious animals. And he says, it's good. And then he makes human beings, male and female. Our culture's not even saying that's good anymore. Two ways of being human, male and female. And then he goes, oh, it's good. It's very good. Let's just say, how about there? You're a woman, and you're not so sure that that's good. Let me tell you something. You're wrong. God says, you're a woman. It's so good. You're a man. You're like, I don't know if this is good. The whole culture is saying it's not good, but God says it's very good. And then he makes all these different kinds of human persons. Some are short. So if you live in a culture where the short aren't considered good, you know what God says? <laughs> what do you mean? <laughs> it's good. <laughs> Let's say some of you have certain kind of ancestors and certain kind of foods, and you just have a tendency to put on weight down here <laughs> or up here. Okay, you know, some cultures, you know, you have people with, you know, you get that song, I like big butts, I cannot lie. <laughs> well, some cultures are better at producing big butts. I know I'm, I'm not trying to be a little facetious about it. You know, if you know what I think? God thinks it's good. God thinks it's good. See, in the world, we're like a certain shape, a certain skinniness, that's good. A certain roundness, that's bad. Now, you know, we can learn things about like physiology. Okay, it's healthy, not as healthy, etc. Okay, but here I'm just talking about beauty and values. Okay, I'm talking about beauty and values. Obviously, if you're like really, really obese, you're really, really unhealthy, that is not good. Similarly, if you're super skinny and, you know, you're an anorexic, that is seriously not good. But God likes black. God likes skinny. God likes big noses and small noses. God likes people who are musical. God likes people who are good at math. God likes introvert. America likes extrovert. Are you a quiet person who's introvert? Let me say something. There's nothing wrong with you. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with you. I don't care what all of America says. The Bible says it's good. It's good. See, creation is good. But now there's all this terrible thing that we are living where sin has now infected creation. It's infected our minds. It's infected our bodies. It's infected the creation. It's infected how we think about our ancestors and our destiny or even the whole, pers the whole question of God. And that is now all defiled. And so now we're not even sure what's the good part. What's the defiled part? 
So in this series, I want to offer you the good news that God doesn't want you to just be a cleaned up person. He doesn't, he doesn't have this boring desire for you to go to this boring place called church because it's a religious place. And then you're going to do this cleaned up thing where you're going to be like a goody tissues and you're going to do better religion. And then that's what it means to be a good person. And that's what it means to be holy. That is not what it means to be holy. God's ambitions and desires for you to be holy is to take all that is so tremendously good and bring it out of you forever. Make it pure and beautiful. Let me close this message this way. I want to take you back to verse 3. I want to take you back to verse 3. And I'm going to just say the first part, but I want to concentrate on the second half, okay? Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to His great mercy, He has caused us. He has caused us. Not you. Not the pastor. Not your mom. Not your dad. God has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Let me take you to this one other verse, okay? Verse 13. If you can jump to verse 13. Verse 13, prepare your mind, blah, blah, blah. I don't want to get to this part. Set your hope fully on the grace that we brought to you at the revelation of Jesus. Or let me put this, when Jesus revealed to you, set your hope fully on that grace. Set your hope fully on that grace. And God will guard you to take you to your telos. Not you. God will do this work in you. But he invites you to walk with him. See, it's like, because you're, you're not like a rock, okay, just, or like a, a, a program, like God just kind of like deprogramming. No, you're a person with a destiny to go seek and want and desire this great beauty and everlasting glory. He invites you to walk with him. But he will do the work and if we will follow. And you'll take that which is truly holy. That which is truly holy. Whatever your version of that is. And it looks a little different to each person. Because you're so special. And unique to him. So I'm going to close uh, with this story. Um, I wanted to give it. Like, I gave a lot of. Kind of like. Professor to kind of talk today. And I want to give you a story to close this message. Okay. Just a, a little picture of what this could look like. Okay, what this could look like. Years ago, I was a really young pastor. Uh, I was in my late 20s. Um, I had served at the church uh, that was our, uh, the church that sent, you know, the core of this church out. You know, it was our mother church. And so it's not far from here. It's called San Jose New Hope. And it's a Korean immigrant church. So I was in my, I was in my 20s. And, um, and I was a really young man. And I barely knew what I was doing. And I served in that church for five years. And I was about to leave San Jose to go to Philadelphia. Our family was going to move out there so I could start a PhD program in systematic theology. 
at uh, Westminster Seminary in Philadelphia. So my lead pastor at the time, um, his name is David Chung. He said, you know, um, let's have you preach to the, the Korean speaking, you know, the, the older folks. Mostly every week I'm preaching to young people. <laughs> like 18 to, at that time, it was a really young congregation, like 18. I think I was the oldest person in the congregation. And I was about 28 or, I was like 30. I was 30. And so I'm mostly preaching like 18 or like 27-year-olds. And he said, let's have you preach a message, a farewell message um, to the Korean-speaking congregation. And, you know, they're like, they go all the way up to like 90-something years old. And so... I prepped a text, and he translated for me, because you know, I don't really speak Korean. And um, I picked, you know, I can't remember exactly which text, but it's, it's, a, it's a kind of classic text. Uh, one of my go-to sermons is to talk about the difference of being, between being born again and being a Pharisee. <laughs> between being born again and being a Pharisee. This passage is about you are born again to a hope which is undefiled, unfading, imperishable. This is God's desire for you as a person. And I preached this message about how you can come into the church and you try very hard to be a good Christian. You keep a lot of the practices and the rules and then you're going to be a Christian this way and everybody around you thinks you're a good Christian and they respect you as a good Christian. You know how to talk the talk. And you know how to kind of like behave the proper ways. And you know how to like behave like a good Christian. <laughs> but deep inside, really, you're a fake. <laughs> you don't have this. You don't have this new born again life. And really, you will not. What you do and how you try to do it is not, <laughs> it's not undefiled. And it is not imperishable. It is very perishable. And a lot of people wishes it will fade away. <laughs> the, the way that you act like a Christian, the way you behave in the church, the way you are a Christian, they're saying, gosh, I sure hope this fades away because this is really lame. <laughs> this kind of religiosity. And I talked about the difference between that and the real true new life, which leads to something really beautiful. You know, this word that our culture, especially young people today, they're looking for authentic it's a love that's pure. It's a humility that's pure. It's a self-giving that's pure. Which we so don't know how to do. And I talked about that. And I said that Jesus comes into the room. He's never fooled by anybody. Which is why the Bible's so strange. All the people who look like they're all the best Christians, like they're the most <laughs> offended by Jesus. And the worst people of the time, he says, well, you're a person. And if you follow me, you can be born again to holiness by faith. And I preach this. I did not know if it would, um, anybody on the Korean speaking congregation would uh, listen or think, you know, they probably just thought, oh, the, the cute young pastor, you know, he's doing his thing. <laughs> and then, you know, he'll, he'll be gone. After the service was over, one of the women, she was a middle-aged woman, prominent member of the church, I won't say her name, um, she came up to me. And um, she was your, just your average Korean Christian lady in the church. She had a certain prominence. She was very, very active. 
never miss Sunday, never miss, how about uh, Sunday dawn, early morning prayer? She wouldn't even miss that. And she liked to show how, you know, like Christian she is. And she came up to me after the service was over and she had been crying. And she said, Pastor, today is the first time I realized I don't know if I'm a Christian. I'm actually a Pharisee. It's the first time I realized that's me. And she was like, I could tell, like in her soul, from her body, she had been shaken down to her core. I was like, wow, that was, that was crazy. <laughs> and I said goodbye, and, you know, I knew her, and she was just your average lady who acted like that. She kind of had a gossipy tongue. People tend to avoid her in certain kinds of ways. Not cruel, but very mundane. And there wasn't anything about her that would make you go, gosh, her faith is so compelling. I really want to get to know her. Her joy and her humility is so compelling. I want to get to know her. That's what she was like. And I'm not trying to insult her. I'm just trying to just give you just your kind of average religion-y Christian lady. Like a good Christian lady. So since this is like my home church, every year or so I'd come home and somewhere along the line I'd usually visit. And um, I'd visit and when she'd see me, I'm not even preaching or anything like that, I'm just at church. And like so once a year or maybe once every couple years I'd come and she would come up to me and bit by bit I could tell she was a new person. <laughs> she was humbler. She was gentler. She had a joy which did not fade. She served easily, gladly, in things that got no, like, you know, like she would, you know, wash dishes in the kitchen without ever bringing attention to herself. And she had this great excitement for the things of the Bible. And so then... You know, a certain number of years, I never thought I'd come back to my old church, that same old church, and get my old job, which I honestly didn't want. <laughs> and so I got to hang. So I, she was like so glad that I'm back, and I'm hanging, and I'm getting to know her. She was a different person. <laughs> and you know what I'd say it was? Holiness had grown in her. <laughs> Holiness had grown in her. This is for you and for me. At times, the fight for it is not easy. But this is what the Bible says. It's guarded for you by God. And it will not die. It's imperishable. If you are born again by giving your life to Jesus, it will not die. You can screw it up and try to kill it. <laughs> you can screw up your marriage. You can get like fall in love with money, get addicted to sex, fall into some kind of weird ideology and try to run away. But God will guard this. And he will not let you not run away into defilement. He will bring you to the completion of the beauty that is the holiness of yours. It's yours in Christ. Did you believe this? In this series, that's what we're going to pursue. Throughout this series, one week after another, I'm going to try to unpack this some more. 
for a time such as this, a very, very broken time. And we could have, hopefully, go into our summer and we'll come out of COVID and we'll joyfully, with all our hearts, pursue our inheritance, our destiny right for eternal joy and beauty through holiness. Let's pray. If it's up to us, Lord, we're so backwards. We make ourselves less than we are even supposed to be. We would rather choose animal or devil instead of being a true person made like the second person of the Holy Trinity, like the Son of God. Animal, devil, or like God. And if we're going to be like God, nothing less than the absolute radiant beauty of holiness. Take us to this pure, pure goodness. Lord, you love us so much, you will not allow us to settle for less. And so in our hearts now, help us to cast off the defilement of our culture where we're always looking for something less. We're looking for like, okay, a little more money and comfort and ease, some worldly status, a better bank account, you know, a, 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 an easy, easy, secure retirement, kids that are good enough. Help us to not live in the defilement of wanting such small and pathetic things. Let us live to the full, eternal joy of our divine personhood, Lord. And in by grace, not by our works or by our performance or by our fair sake or righteousness, may we run to you, to the cross, to your resurrection, and set our hopes fully on that grace and live for the glory of of holiness today. Give us this grace. Give us of your kindness. Give us of this joy. In Jesus' name. Amen.